So, you know, for uh, tonight we have a special guest speaker. And we're going to take a break from our Ten Commandments series so we can just hear this incredible, incredible story of how God used just a horrible circumstance to really further his kingdom and how hopefully we can find a way to relate that to our own lives, to where a situation that doesn't seem fair, we can really get to know God even better through that and be aware of God is working through those circumstances. But with that, we're going to do things a little bit differently tonight. What we're going to be doing is um, Malinga is going to be joining us. He's going to come up here. He's going to share a story and share what happened. And then after that, I'm going to come back out here, and we're going to do a Q&A at that point with him. So any comments or questions, let's hold off until then. But also be thinking through this whole thing. Hey, what are some questions I could be asking this guy about what he experienced and about how he dealt with that and about how he stayed close to God through it? Um, and just practical, everyday questions like how did you not want to kill that guy is going to be a question you'll understand once you hear this story. Uh, so think about what can I ask him at the end of this so that you can understand that story a little bit better and how it relates to you. So we're going to be doing that, and I don't really want to prolong it anymore just because it's such an amazing story. I've heard it before, and I absolutely love this story. So if you would, though, just take a second, stand up, greet someone around you, uh, shake some hands, fist bumps, whatever you feel like doing. Good evening, mine. I'm honored to be here this evening. I'm grateful uh, for the lives of uh, Pastor Lynn and um, Mama Lisa for the gracious invitation that they have extended to me, my wife, and um, five-year-old month son called Joseph. Uh, they've loved on us. They've uh, treated us like their own children in their house. So when you meet with them, please extend my thanks to them. Let's pray together so that we go into the sharing of the story. Father, I thank you for your love and goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege that you've given to me to be able to sit before your people, Lord, and share your working in my life. Father, even as I sit before your people, I do acknowledge, Lord, that it is not about me, but it is about you, your purpose, your will, Lord, and that your name may be glorified. And my prayer is that I, as I share my story, may you be glorified. May the lives of your people, Lord, be rekindled with love and passion for you through this story. May each, of, each one of the lives of these, your dear children, Lord, uh, be blessed even as I share this story to the glory and praise of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My name is Mulenga Chela. I was born in Zambia. Zambia is a nation in the southern part of Africa, central southern part of Africa, and uh, that's where I come from. I remember when I was in my last year of high school, I felt the Lord call me 
and I felt a strong call of God, and from then onwards, I purposed to serve the Lord in full-time ministry as a minister of the Word of God. That led me to become actively involved in a number of ministries in the local church that I belong to. I got involved in reaching out to abandoned children who lived on the streets, fed from the streets. I would reach out to them, bring them into church, teach them the word of God, pray for them, and encourage them in Christ. I continued doing hospital ministry where we would go into the hospitals, pray for patients, lead them to Christ, and encourage them through their trials and challenges. I got involved in evangelism ministry and a number of other ministries in the local church. The leaders in the church then saw the call of God on my life, and they decided to give me the first church I led at the age of 20, and uh, uh, I... Uh, after I started leading that church, I saw my need of going into seminary. But my parents could not afford to send me into college. So I waited for four years until God opened an opportunity for me to go to a university called Northrise University. While I was studying for my diploma in theology at Northrise University uh, in the second year, the lecture was teaching us on a subject called leadership preparation. And in that subject, he talked about how God uses the trials and the challenges that we go through in life in order to uh, strengthen our faith, in order to uh, prepare us even for the leadership responsibilities that he has for us, in order for him to sanctify us and make us more like Christ. And uh, as he went on talking about those things, he mentioned the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis chapter 37 going onwards. Uh, he said that Joseph's brothers abandoned him, they beat him up, threw him in a hole, and later on sold him as a slave. And wherever, where, where Joseph was sold as a slave, he ended up being wrongly imprisoned, and he spent some years in prison. And our lecture said, through the trials and the challenges that Joseph was going through, God was preparing him for the leadership responsibilities he had ahead of his life. And our lecture wanted to emphasize his point. So I was there listening attentively to what he was teaching us as one of the youngest students in the class. It was a class of about 13 theology students. And this lecture pointed at me and said, God can even take this young man here, Mulenga, and send him over into prison in order to prepare him for ministry. And when he said those words, I was shocked. I said, what? I remember that day, I went home during my, in my closet, and I prayed to God. I said, Lord, I don't want anything like prison to ever happen to me. Two weeks later, I was in a house with a friend of mine, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, loving him, just seeking for more of him in our lives. And as we were praying, this friend of mine stopped praying. He looked at me and said, Mulenga, I hear the Lord is saying that he's proud of you and he's proud of the work that you're doing in ministry. And I hear the Lord is saying that he's going to send you into a foreign country and there you are going to be imprisoned and suffer very much and thereafter God is going to bless you. When he said those words, I was shocked. I didn't say a word, but in my mind I was thinking this is truly one of those guys we hear of as a false prophet. 
Because there is no way a God who is good and loving can allow me to go into prison. That is what I thought then. Again, when I went home, I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't want anything like prison to ever happen to me. If you want to teach me or prepare me for ministry, use other means. Don't use prison. Two days later, I was watching a television uh, station network. And on that TV station, there was uh, an elderly white American lady who was teaching from the book of Luke chapter 1, uh, where the Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord went to Mary and told Mary that she shall conceive and bear a child. And Mary by then was engaged to Joseph, but not married to Joseph. So she said, how can I have a child now? I'm not married. And the angel of the Lord said, with God all things are possible. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you shall conceive and have a child. And finally Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. Now this televangelist went on and interpreted these verses in this way. She said, Mary surrendered her life to the will of God. Even if it meant that when she surrendered her life to the will of God and became pregnant with Jesus, it meant that Joseph would become suspicious of her pregnancy. Secondly, if Joseph became suspicious, according to the culture then, if a young lady was found pregnant in her parents' house, she could be stoned to death. So there were all of those challenges that were before Mary, and yet she still surrendered her life to God and said, be it unto me according to your will. And this woman said, if God wants to use you in any way, Surrender to him the way Mary surrendered her life to God. If God wants to use you by sending you over into another nation so that you preach the word of God there as a missionary, surrender. If God wants to use you by sending you into prison so that you preach the word of God there, surrender. And when this woman mentioned the word prison, the words pricked my heart because I came to a strong conclusion that it was God telling me that he wanted me to go into prison so that he could use me by preaching the gospel there. At that moment, I got up, went to my place of prayer, and I knelt down, lifted my hands to God with tears dropping down my eyes. I cried and I said to the Lord, Lord Jesus, I no longer hold back from you. I surrender to your will and your purpose for my life, even if it means imprisonment. Be it unto me according to your will. And after I had prayed that prayer, 10 months passed. I had even forgotten about the prayers that I had made. Then I was introduced to a man who said that he was a missionary serving the Lord in the nation of Tanzania. The nation of Tanzania is right on top of Zambia, and that's where this man said he, he came from. So he, it's, it's a neighboring nation from my nation. And the man um, talked like a very nice Christian. He spoke Christianese, I can say. He, he, he talked about the number of orphans he helped. He talked about the numbers of widows that he helped. He talked about how great his organization and how many people they were helping in Tanzania. And uh, after spending some time with him, the man uh, asked me to go with him into Tanzania so that we could see the great work that he was doing. I accepted the invitation and started off with him from Zambia, my nation, into Tanzania. When we arrived in the nation of Tanzania, to my shock and surprise, police officers pounced on us. 
I saw a pistol being pointed to my head. I was shocked and I asked the officers, what is going on here? They, police officers, then told me that the man that I was with, who told me that he was a missionary, was actually an international criminal. And the vehicle that we were traveling on, that he was driving, was a car that he had stolen. And the police officers said that because I was a foreigner in that nation with an international criminal in a stolen vehicle, they said that I must have been a, a, a criminal as well, and they ended up putting me in prison for two years while waiting judgment. Now you have to understand that African prisons are different from American prisons. American prisons are what we consider a five-star hotel in Africa. <laughs> you people are blessed. Before being taken to the main prison, I was locked up for 14 days in police lockup. Police, inside the police station, there was a, a small room about the size of a bedroom, and in that room, there were 30 men. In the corner of the room was a toilet that had no running water. It was broken, and all the dirt would pile up right in there. Before entering the police station, you could smell a bad odor coming out of there. Inside that small uh, room that had 30 men, whenever food was being served, it was served on a dish. And whoever was strongest would eat the most without washing any hands. So it was bad. The, the place had, had bed bugs all around the wall that you could actually see the way you, we see ants crawling on the ground. We could see the bed bugs around the wall. It was dirty and smelly and disgusting. Before I was put in that uh, police lockup, I had money equivalent to $5. I decided to get that money, give it to the police officer who was about to lock me up in there for safekeeping so that I could have my money back. But while I was giving him the money, some of the men who were arrested before me were actually criminals. And they were looking through the bars and they saw that I had money and they started shouting at me. They said, don't give the officer the money, give us the money. The officer finally grabbed the money away from me and I was locked up together with those guys. About five big guys became furious with me. They came, held my hands and legs. They searched my pockets and when they found that I had no more money, they punched me, insulted me, beat me up and finally they threw me into the toilet, into human waste. And I broke down and I cried. I spent my night there because whenever I tried to go out, they would punch me. So I stayed in there for the whole night. And I cried. I said, Lord, why? Why have you allowed me to suffer like this? After I've been seeking you and serving you faithfully as a minister of the word of God, as a pastor, how could you allow this to happen to me? In the morning, three of the people that had beaten me up called me out of uh, the, the human west, and I stepped out of it, and they gave me this much of water to wash off my hands. And after I washed off my hands, they said, could you please pray for us so that once we go and face our charges, God can set us free, because we noticed that you prayed through the whole night. 
And when these guys asked for prayers, these are the same men who had beaten me up and threw me into the toilet. So I thought, what kind of prayer can I pray from the Bible for these guys who had beaten me up? And I first thought of the prayer of Elijah when he called fire from heaven and it consumed the offerings. But before I pray the prayer, I'm grateful that God compelled me by his grace and love. And I prayed for them, leading them to the Lord Jesus Christ and asking for God to go before them as they went to face their charges so that they could be released. And guess what happened? They were released and I ended up spending two years in prison. From there, I was sent to the main prison. African prisons are congested prisons. The prison that I was in was a prison that was constructed to hold 1,500 prisoners, but it now held 5,000 prisoners. Inside the prison, there were cells that were constructed to hold 15 men, but they now held 45 to 75, a maximum, men. Inside those cells, there were mattresses meant to be slept on by one person and three people would sleep on them. So the way we slept, one person's head would be facing this side, the other person's head would be facing this side, and you could not turn until the captain of the cell asked you to turn, because there was no room to turn. The food in prison was bad. And before I go on to the food in prison, I have to mention that the person who was sleeping on the mattress next to me was a man who had... Uh, killed his father, mother, and two other relatives with an ax in one day. And I believe God put him there to ensure that I prayed every night. The food we had in prison was bad. We daily had partially rotten cornmeal boiled in water, ground cornmeal boiled in water with partially rotten beans, which was partially cooked. After going into prison, I started complaining. I said, Lord, why? Because that did not measure up with my understanding of God. Initially, I thought, God, if you worship and serve the Lord faithfully, he will bless you and prosper you. But there I was finding myself in prison after I've been seeking the Lord faithfully. And I, said, I started complaining, and I thought, Lord, why? During those moments when I was complaining, I, got, I was introduced to a godly man who was in prison. Prisoners respected him, and they called him their pastor. The man was serving life in prison, and yet was serving the Lord with a joyful heart. When I met with him, he had a smile on his face. When I finally asked the prisoners, I said, what did he do? They actually arranged a meeting for me to meet with him, and I asked him the questions. I said, sir, what did you do? And how did you get into prison? Because I could not figure it out what this godly man was doing in prison. So the man told me his story. He said, he, in 1973, he was working with his brother and other young men. And when he was working, some of those men had actually committed murder. And when the police officers went to arrest them, they arrested the entire group and they sentenced them to be hung to death in 1973. So the man has been in prison since then. The nation of Tanzania has had four different presidents, and the man is still in prison for over 43 years. I asked the man, 
What did you do? He said he didn't do anything. He didn't even deserve the crime for which he was convicted to be sentenced to death. After being sentenced to death, he was put in a prison within a prison because prisoners who are sentenced to death are not allowed to mingle with other prisoners. They are in a, um, a separate place. And in that place, prison warders would call on them, take them to the place where they are hanged, and as soon as one of them is hanged, the remaining prisoners would uh, be called upon to take the body of their friend. They ask the prison warder would ask the prisoners to take off the clothes and wash them and wear them and take the body of their friend and put it somewhere. So these guys live like animals waiting to be butchered. They do not know when the next person will be called on. And while this man I'm talking about was in that place, he remembered the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that people shared with him before he went into prison. And he decided to surrender his life to Christ and he made a vow to the Lord. He said, Lord, if you spare my life, even if I'm not allowed to go outside prison, but if you spare my life, I will save you for the rest of my life. And guess what happened after he prayed that prayer? Three months later, God changed his sentence. Instead of him being hung to death, he was allowed to spend life in prison and he was allowed to mingle with other prisoners in prison. And from that day, that man started preaching the gospel like a madman. He runs from one end of the prison to the other end of the prison, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the time I left prison in 2008, he had led over 40,000 men, literally a literal count, 40,000 men to Christ. Even though the man was serving the Lord passionately, I would see him break down on different occasions. At other times, prisoners would be allowed to watch TV. And when he watched TV with them, he would see a couple walking hand in hand. And whenever I would see a couple holding hand in hand, and maybe they have a child by their side, the man would break down and cry. Because in his life, he's never had the privilege, the opportunity of marrying, of having children. And the generation of the people that knew him has passed on because the life expectancy in Africa is, is low. And the man is still there in prison. He prays and asks God for God to give him the, 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 the freedom to go out and have the privilege of having a family, and it never comes to him. And whenever he does that, he sees that, he breaks and sobs. It's in those moments that the Lord was telling me that we should not take for granted the families that God has given to us, the spouses that God has given to us, the freedom that God has given to us, and the children that God has given to us. Because there are many people that seek the Lord, that pray and worship the Lord faithfully, and yet they do not have the privileges that God has given to us. After hearing the story of this man, and seeing how passionately he was serving the Lord. Guess what? I stopped complaining. I stopped having pity parties because I came to realize that here was a man who had spent more years in prison than the years that I've lived on earth, and yet he was there busy seeking and serving the Lord passionately, and I was only in prison for a few days, and I was busy complaining. And the man just inspired me to stop complaining and, he, and I started seeking the Lord passionately and serving him together with him. 
So this became my daily program. In the morning, when we were released from the cells, we would start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. After having our main meal at noon, we would continue preaching the gospel. In the evening, I had the privilege of being locked up in a hall that was called um, a reception where all the men who were arrested for the first time, imprisoned for the first time, were brought in. So every day, there was a number, a different number of men coming in. And I had the privilege of preaching the gospel to them every night. And I'm grateful to the Lord that while I was in prison, I had the privilege of preaching the gospel to Muslims, to people who've never been to church, to men who lived wicked lives. And I'm grateful to the Lord that during my time in prison, I saw people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I saw lives transformed and people learned the gospel to the glory of God. How did I get out of prison? The man who had deceived me and told me that he was a missionary was actually arrested with me. And after we had spent six months in prison, the true colors of this man had manifested. The man was a wicked criminal, a crafty con man, who, after spending six months in prison, conned and deceived even the most feared criminals in prison. He made enemies with prison warders, deceived them, conned them. He made enemies even with fellow prisoners, and almost everyone in prison hated him, and they did not want to do anything with him. The man had plans of escaping from prison, and when his plans failed, he decided to end his life by taking an overdose of medicine, and instead of dying, he became unconscious. Now, I'm not a medical personnel, so when I say conscious, I'm talking about him not being able to move, walk, he just lay on the bed, he couldn't even speak. And when this man became that sick, prison The prison officer in charge of the prison called me and he said, with a genuine heart of concern for me, he said, Mulenga, we know that you are a man of God. We've seen your character here in prison and we know that that man is a wicked man. And now that he is sick, we advise you, don't help him because whatever happens in prison, magistrates in court will hear about it. Police officers will hear about it. And when they hear that you are helping this man, they will think that you are his ally in all the criminal activities that he's been doing. So leave him alone and let him die. I'm grateful to the Lord that when I walked into prison, I carried my Bible with me. And I read the Bible every day. I prayed through the Bible every day. And as I read the Bible, I felt the word of God become alive to me. I felt the Lord speak to me, strengthen me, encourage me through his word. As I read the Bible, I came across scriptures like Psalms chapter 27 verse 4, where the psalmist David said, One thing do I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon his beauty forever. And as I meditated on those words, I got to a point where I was inspired to pray like David and I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, one thing I ask of you is that I may live the rest of my life worshiping you, loving you, the way I'm doing it here in prison. And if you know that uh, if uh, once I go outside prison, I'll move away from your grace, I pray that you never take me away from prison because I don't want to move away from your grace. 
As I continued reading the Bible, I came across Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, where the Bible says, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And those words came out strong to me, and I heard the Lord telling me to love my enemy. Now, that was a difficult thing to obey. Why? Because if I obeyed the word of God and loved my enemy, it would seem to the magistrates in court, the police officers and the prison warders, that I was an ally of this man. Again, if I had disobeyed the word of God, I would see the joy of seeing my enemy suffer to death. But as I continued praying and meditating on God's word, God compelled me by his grace and love. And finally, I decided to obey God's word and I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, I will obey you even if it means that once I obey you, I will implicate myself in the criminal uh, charges that this man has committed, I will still obey your word. And off I went, and I started uh, nursing this man. He was sick. And I started nursing him the way a mother nurses a toddler. He could not go to the restroom. He could not eat. He could not talk. He simply lay there on the bed, and he had diarrhea. It was bad. I used to wash his underwear, wash his clothes, clean his body, line up for his food, and I'll go and feed him. Then thereafter, go and line up for my own food. It was bad. Uh, I got to a point where I became very thin. Even prisoners in prison uh, felt pity for me. They said, truly, you are suffering. We are all in prison, but you are suffering, they said. In those moments, I started thinking to myself, I thought, what's life? What's the, read, what's the meaning of life when you are wrongly imprisoned? When you are eating bad food? When you are, you are sleeping in a place full of bed bugs? What's life when you don't have all the luxuries that we long for in life? It was in those moments the Lord started teaching me. He started teaching me that life is an opportunity that God gives to us. Life is an opportunity to love, to save, to honor God and mankind, even though I was wrongly imprisoned. God had given me a great opportunity, an opportunity to love my enemy, to save my enemy, and to honor God by doing that. So as I continued helping this man, I started saying to the Lord from deep down my heart, I said, Lord Jesus, I love you. As I care for this man, as I nurse this man, I am doing it as an expression of my love to you. I'm thinking about you. I love you, Lord Jesus. And as I said those words to the Lord, amazingly, I felt the peace of God that transcends all human understanding rest upon my heart. I felt the grace of God and the joy that enabled me to go on through my time in prison. Two weeks later, that man regained strength and recovered. He was able to walk and talk and uh, feed for himself, and I left him. But whenever he would see me from that time onwards, the man would cry because of the way that I had loved him. Finally, when the day of defense and judgment came, after spending two years in prison, the man that I had helped, who had conned me and deceived me, stood up in court before the magistrate and everyone else in court. He pointed at me and said, this man is an innocent man. He does not know anything about all my criminal activities. I simply carried him in my vehicle like an ordinary passenger. 
And those words he spoke opened the doors for me to be released from prison and he was convicted for 10 years. Guess what would have happened if I had disobeyed the word of God and refused to love my enemy and let him die? If that man had died, his case would have remained standing on my shoulder and I would have been convicted in his place for 10 years. But because I obeyed the word of God, God opened the prison doors and I was released from prison. When I look at what I'd gone through, the suffering that I'd gone through, the pain that I'd gone through, do I still regret it? If God had given me power to change these past events, could I change them? No, I wouldn't. When we look at the Bible in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, verse 2 to 4, the Bible talks about a time God led the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness for 40 years. And the Bible says that God led them into the wilderness for 40 years in order to humble them in order to test them and see what was in their hearts, whether they would obey his word or not, in order to teach them that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, and in order to discipline them the way a father disciplines a child that he loves. Friends, I believe that God led me into prison for two years in order to humble me, in order to test me and see what was in my heart, whether I would obey his word or not, in order to teach me that man does not live on bread alone. Man does not live on the luxuries of life, good food, good bedding, clothing, and all the luxuries that we long for, but man lives on God's word and his word alone. I believe that God led me into prison to discipline me the way a father disciplines a child that he loves. Just as the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20, when Joseph was talking to his brother, saying that what you did to me, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, for the saving of many lives. Truly, what the enemy intended to harm my faith, to ruin my life, God used it and intended it for good, for the saving of the many lives that I preach the gospel to and the many lives of people that continue to hear my story. I'm therefore grateful to God for the privilege of uh, him working in my life in a divine way, such as leading me into prison so that I could see him at work in my life in a great way. And I give him all glory and honor for his greatness in my life. All right, let's give it up for Malinga one more time. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here. So we have just around a half hour left, a little less. Um, let's, let's open up to some questions. So in order to do this, we're going to have a couple mic runners. Just raise your hand so we can get one question at a time. And then um, as you say the question, I'm going to repeat it back to Malinga, and then he'll answer from there. So uh, we got one right here to start with. Yep. What happened to the pastor that you were in prison with? Did you ever keep in touch, or do you know what happened to him? 
Have you kept in touch with that, uh, that guy that was named Pastor, the one that was their sentence for life? Uh, have you been able to keep in touch with him over the years? Yes, sir. I have kept in touch with him. In fact, um, last year, we went into Tanzania with a few friends of mine and um, sought legal help trying to get him out of prison, which is still pending. And uh, by the grace of God, this July, I'll go back to Tanzania and try to push it on and I'm grateful to the Lord that when I go back to Tanzania, we'll have the privilege of preaching the gospel inside the very prison where I was held. Wow, that's incredible. Hi. Uh, well, that's, that's kind of towards the question I was going to ask. I was wondering if, um, if you've had the, the urge to or if you've gone already uh, back into the prisons to preach the gospel. So, yeah, is, is that trip you're about to take back, is that going to be your first time back or uh, have you already gone back before? This is going to be my second time back. I have already been back there, and uh, after we went back, um, we took some Bibles and gave them to the prison church, and uh, this time we have sought legal uh, um, authority for us to go inside the prison and share the gospel. That's incredible. So. All right, in just one second, we'll have uh, the microphone get back to her back there. So how did it feel when you went back to that prison for the first time? When I went back into the prison for the first time, I saw the greatness of God. I, the passages in the Bible where Joseph was taken out of the prison and uh, he was now promoted to become the vice of Pharaoh, I felt that real in my life. I saw the working of God in my life and that uh, just going back into the prison reminds me of the greatness of God, the faithfulness of God. So we have a question back there. Yes, I've had the privilege of hearing you before, and I seem to remember that you had a number of some of the souls that you saved. Do you have a number in your head, or do you even know how many people came to know the Lord while you were there? So earlier you talked about that guy named Pastor. He had saved about 40,000. Um, and she's talking about, how about you yourself? How many people did you help lead to Christ? How many souls did you save during this experience you had? Inside the prison where I was, it was a prison of 5,000 men. And every day we had an influx of prisoners going out and other men coming in. An average number that came in was 20. Sometimes it would go to as much as 50 men coming in per day. So during the two years I was in prison, um, people always um, came in and out, in and out. I would not even know exactly how many people um, I ministered the gospel to because there are too many to count. Uh, but on an average, per week, on an average, I'd led over seven men to eight men per week. And sometimes it was more, so you can do the math. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So we have a follow-up A second question. part to my question is, the man that conned you, um, what did he hope in doing uh, by taking you there? What was, what, was his, what was his objective? Why did he take you? So why did that guy who lied to you, why did he lie to you to bring you along? Mm -hmm. After going into prison with him, I came to learn that he was using me because 
um, after I met with him, he saw how I preached the word of God, he saw my prayer life, and I believe that he wanted to use me so that whenever people would see me standing together with him, they would think that we were all genuine pastors. Um, so I was wondering, you, you mentioned that um, the teacher had pointed you out and said that, you know, about the going to prison thing, and then your friend later on said, you know, that that's what God had said to him, that that's what was going to happen to you. Was that friend in the class with the professor, was he there like from the go? So like, did, did the prophecy start there? So when, when that lecturer, when that professor in your class had told you, hey, you know, you could even take Malinga into prison to teach him something. And then your friend gave you that prophecy about, hey, you're going to go to a foreign country and you're going to be in prison. Um, was your buddy a part of that class? <laughs> that, that friend of mine was not a part of that class. He did not even know about what the professor in class told me. And the professor in class had no idea that that was going to happen, actually. So after I went into prison, he was shocked. I actually have a, a follow-up question myself for that, though. So you have this professor talking about it. Then you have your friend, you know, completely separate from it, say, you got to be freaking out a little bit at this moment. Um, do you feel there's any, like, spiritual gifts or any preparation got it done in your life for this experience? Mm -hmm. I, I believe the, 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 the words that I heard from the um, professor and my friends and the woman who was sharing the Bible, the televangelist, the American white woman, I believe all of those helped prepare me for the prison. But that's not all. One of the things I did is I, I, I was devoted to the reading of God's word. I continued reading the Bible, praying the Bible, obeying the Bible, and trying to live it out in my life. And that was a, a gem, a good foundation I had had. And if it was not for that foundation, no matter what kind of prophetic word I had, I don't think it would have stood. But the word of God is the main thing that helped me. Yeah, uh, two of the people that you'd mentioned, uh, the teacher, obviously, who had that prophecy, um, have you gone back and, and relayed your story to him? Have you, have you taught uh, others uh, of that? And then the other one that I wanted to know about was the man that had uh, basically caused you to be imprisoned. Um, have you seen him since you were released? All right, so um, since that time of being released, uh, he actually has two parts. The lecturer, the professor that you mentioned, yes, had you gone back and asked him why he asked you to go to prison? <laughs> no, um, have you talked to him, been able to share that story through it um, with your old professor, your lecturer? And then the other part is, did you ever go see that guy again? Um, when you went back to prison, was he still there? Did you ever have a chance to reconnect with the guy who uh, lied to you and got you thrown in prison in the first place? Mm -hmm. the, for the professor who um, pointed out at me in class and said that I was, uh, God could take me into prison, after I went into prison, he's continued writing me notes of encouragement. Later on, after coming out of prison, I met with him, and uh, he had no idea that that was going to happen to me. And I'm grateful that he's been of a great encouragement to me because he's the one who um, introduced me to Pastor uh, Lynn, 
and worked out my coming over to America and it has been helpful even up to now. Uh, for, for the con man, um, I last heard of him that he um, has been released from prison, but I've not um, been in contact with him. And the reason behind that is this. After we got into prison, after being arrested, the man told me that uh, he was now repenting. After, just after being arrested, he said, Mulenga, I'm sorry that I've implicated you in all of this. I want to repent and tell you the whole truth. I am a drug dealer and I've been smuggling drugs. And um, I want you to lead me, I want you to lead me to Christ. Please pray for me. So I prayed for him. And the man started fasting for six days. And when he started fasting for six days, he went to the police station when we were taken to go to court, he talked to the police officers and the magistrate and told them to say, you guys are wasting your time on this case. There's a bigger case I can tell you after I confess my, my drug dealings with uh, uh, various people working for the government of Tanzania. So the officers freaked out and they started making plans of cancelling the previous case so that uh, he could uh, now confess the crimes that he had been committing. But during that time, they discovered that he was actually conning them. And when they discovered that he was conning them and uh, his repentance was not genuine to me, I decided to leave him alone. Mm. Okay. We have another question? Are there any other questions? Oh, we have a gentleman again. I I got a list of questions myself as well. So I was just I was just curious. How long ago did all this start? Like, how long ago did you get arrested and be put into the prison? Uh, what year was it that you got uh, you got arrested? I got arrested in. Um, June, July 20, 2006, and I got out of prison in October, the last week of October 2008. I, I remember I spent three birthdays in prison. Okay, so it's been about 10 years now. Mm. Um, about well, nine years mm -hmm. now of just God working through you and working your life in this way. Uh, do we have any other questions from the audience right now? Oh. What is your spiritual gift? Yeah. What do you, uh, how do you feel your God spiritually gifted you? Mm -hmm. I, I, I think God has given me the gift of teaching, the gift of preaching, and um, I think that's one of my, 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 my strengths. But as I've been seeking and serving the Lord in, in various uh, um, environments, especially prison, I've, I've been privileged to see God uh, manifest his gifts in a number of various ways through my life. I, I believe that uh, the more available one is to God's uh, service, the more uh, the working of God they will see through their life. I know that you 
we're face to face with some pretty scary people in prison. I mean, how would you even begin to uh, talk about God with this scary person? You know, um, how'd you even begin to even work with these guys? Like, how would you start a conversation with them? How did you begin to share the gospel with people who were so uh, so scary, so evil? Um, what did those those talks look like? Mm-hmm. When I started preaching the gospel, I learned, I saw how the man, the godly man that I had met in prison was doing it. And the way he was doing it, after God spared his life, he had no fear for any man. The way he did it was going round and round the prison, running and preaching um, the gospel of Jesus Christ, urging people to repent and accept Christ as their savior, and that's how he did it. So when I had the opportunity of coming in and preaching with them, I followed the, um, the, the passages from the Bible and preached the gospel. I told them how Christ died for us on the cross of Calvary. I told them of how he paid the penalty for our sins and uh, the new life that we have in him. I told them about the love that God has given to us. And that touched the hearts of uh, people who were Muslims and they came to know the Lord, people with wicked and hard hearts. They came to know the Lord and God did wonders uh, with the gospel. Another question? Uh, Well, I know with me, I've been through some tough situations in my life. And uh, for me, my my life verse is is James 1-2. That's, that's seen me through so much. And so I was just wondering, what's, what's your life verse? What, what, what one particular do you go to when, you know, you, you, you were suffering and you just you couldn't see that light, you know? What, what was it that you used to pick yourself up with? Mm. So is there, is there a particular verse that through all these instances that you turn to that really speaks to your heart? Yes. My, my, my verse, uh, one of the verses, I have many of them, but one of the verses that strengthened and encouraged me is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And the Bible says, in all things, God works them together for good for them that love him, for them that have been called according to his purpose, so that they could be conformed according to the image of his son. And that verse encourages me because as I continued reading it in prison, God was telling me that even though I was going through a tough time, God was going to use it for my good. God was going to use it for the good of the people that surrounded me. And God was going to use it to conform me to become like Christ. And I'm grateful to him that he has proved his word true because uh, through, the prison, uh, the, through going into prison, he has conformed me from what I was to what I am now. And through my going into prison, he's used it for good. I'm now going about from area to area, sharing the gospel, preaching the word of God, and that could not have happened without the prison testimony. Um, I know through, I know that God um, allows through a negative situation, you know, he brings a positive beauty out of that situation, but because God allowed you to, um, to go into that environment, now, and, um, and truly know what it is for someone to be in there and know, um, did, did that help you to develop a, a certain love and an understanding and have a, a passion for 
for that type of ministry, for the prison ministry, because you lived it. You, God gave you that opportunity. I know it, it's, it's, it's a strong, op- but it's, it's a passion to have for those prisoners. Is that something that you have in your heart, that a special passion for them? So through this experience, do you still feel um, kind of a calling, a, a heart pull towards uh, ministering to prisoners? Yes, sir. Um, my plans, let me start from here. In 2013, I was invited to come over to America and share my story at uh, Baylor University in Texas. And I shared my story there, and the dean of the university offered me a scholarship after hearing my story. So my wife, my son, and I are at Baylor University where I'm studying for my master's in divinity. I'll be graduating next May in 2016, and we plan to go back to Zambia in Africa and plant churches. And the church that we're going to plant, the first one, is going to have a number of ministries, which will include prison ministry. We'll be going into African prisons and uh, Zambian prisons and preach the gospel, disciple prisoners, and we'll be also doing hospital ministry. I will be reaching out to uh, men with addiction problems and women, uh, prostitutes, and uh, uh, various people with uh, various spiritual challenges so that we, we can help them be transformed for Christ. That's incredible. I know that you go to church now, and we all accepted Christ differently, but how did God come in your life in the beginning of this whole story? How did he come? So when did you accept Christ into your life, and what were the circumstances around that? Uh, My accepting Christ was a process but I could also say it was um, an, e- an event. It was a process in the sense that um, as I was growing up at school, as, when I was in my primary school, uh, some pastors would come in, give us Gideon Bibles, and uh, encourage us to pray the sinner's prayer. And uh, as I continued growing up, I would watch some tele-evangelists asking people to receive Christ, and I would pray with them. But the final event came when uh, um, I was 18 years old. I was invited to a church by my mother. Uh, I was going, initially, I was going to a, a Roman Catholic church. In the church that I was going to, uh, they did not preach the gospel. So I was invited to a Protestant church where they taught the gospel and the Bible, and I d- decided to go up front and surrender my life to God. And I took that seriously, and from then I got devoted to knowing God better, reading his word, walking closer to him. Now, way in the back. Hi. Um, Thank you for taking the time to speak with us tonight. I believe I've heard you speak before as well. And my question is, have you ever thought about writing a book, and not for you know, notoriety or personal gain or anything like that, but for maybe all the individuals um, that you could reach with your testimony that may not attend a church or actually go somewhere to hear you speak. Do you have any plans of uh, writing your story out in a book? Uh, Yes, sir. I've actually compiled um, my story, and I'm praying to God for for a door to open for publishing and all the other costs that will accompany it. 
Yeah, we look forward to that coming out. Thank you. So, all right, well, I have some, uh, some questions myself. At this time, mm-hmm. um, you were still kind of young. I mean, you're still just in school, finishing out school. What about your parents? Mm-hmm. What about your parents and your family during this situation? Did they know what was going on? Because it all happened pretty quick, right? Yes, sir. All right, so what about your family during this time? Mm. When this happened to me, I was living in my parents' house. So when I uh, went off into Tanzania um, and fell into prison, in Africa, you you don't have any right to, to use a cell phone or call anybody in prison. Secondly, when you write letters, the prison warders would receive them and sometimes they would use them as evidence in court and they would not send them anywhere. And some African prisons struggle even to provide food for prisoners. So later on, helping them with communication and et cetera, et cetera, is, is difficult, almost impossible. So there was no communication with my parents. My parents came to know that I was missing through one of my friends who went on the internet and Googled my name and there it popped up saying that I was imprisoned for stealing a car. And my parents' hearts broke uh, because when I was growing up, I was a priest of the house and when they heard that, they they cried. My father gathered up uh, a few money that he could and came to Tanzania and one day I was seated with other prisoners, dirty, looking very thin, and then I was called into the prison officer's office, and uh, lo and behold, I saw my father seated on the chair, and there I went and sat down, because I could not be allowed to stand, so I sat down on the ground, and my father sobbed. He cried, the prison officer allowed us to hug, I hugged him, and he continued sobbing. So. During that time, my father tried his level best to talk to the uh, judges, the police officers to release me. He told them that I was innocent, but they could not buy it and they wanted to be bribed. My father had no money and his high blood pressure was shooting. And I thought, what am I going to tell my father since he's got nobody here to help him? And then I remembered, in 2004, I had a birthday. My father did not have money to buy me presents, so he dedicated me to the Lord and prayed for me and blessed me. And then I said, Daddy, do you remember that you blessed me on this day and dedicated me to God? He said, yes. And then I said, Daddy, go back home to Zambia. I am in God's hands. God will care for me. When he heard those words, he sobbed and gathered courage and he left. But I'm grateful that... God took care of me even in ways that my father could not have taken care of me. Because while I was in prison, he provided soap, he provided a toothpaste, he provided the various essentials that I needed in order for me to survive in prison. And I'm just really curious, because during all this, all these bad things are going on, you're getting beat up, thrown into the toilet, and you said when you met that pastor, it really encouraged you with all these things happened, did you ever just feel like giving up? After going into prison, my, the, my theology then did not measure up with what was happening to me. Because initially I thought, if you are faithful and serving God, God will bless you and prosper you. But instead of being blessed and prospered, 
I was in prison suffering. So I did not measure up, and I got to a point where I started doubting God. I thought, does God really exist? If he does really exist, why is this happening to me? And what helped me is the time I got to a point where I resolved to trust God's word, to trust the Bible. I got to a point where I held on to the Bible and I said to the Lord that I would trust him even if it means that I would die trusting in him without him coming through for me. I would still hold on to him. And after I had made that decision, I saw God come through for me in amazing ways that um, proved himself true to me and I'm grateful for that. I want to thank you so much just for taking the time out and sharing with us. Um, just a second ago, you mentioned you're at Baylor. You're finishing out your MDiv. Uh, when I met you a couple years ago for the first time, you were praying for a wife at that point. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, what, what was it, like a couple months after? Because I met you in February a couple years ago. And when did you meet your wife? Yes. Um, I met with my wife in um, the church that I was pastoring in Zambia. The church I was pastoring was a branch church. The mother church is where my wife came from, and she was singing in the choir of the church. So I knew her some time back, but I had no clue that God had, um, had provided her to be my wife. So when I came, I went back to Zambia in February 2013, um, I had the opportunity of meeting with her in a Bible study, and I was intrigued with the way she read the Bible, studied the Bible, and I thought she would make a good pastor's wife. And from then, <laughs> the rest is history. And, and you've had a kid since then as well. Yes, sir. We had our first baby in 2014, December. He's an American. He was born in Waco, Texas. Well, it's so awesome to hear how God is just continuing to bless your life. Um, do you mind if we pray over you before we Yes, end? sir. I would love that. All right. Uh, if you guys would like to do things just a little bit differently tonight with the prayer, if you guys could stand up and then uh, just reach out towards Malinga as, as we pray this tonight. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for such a man as Malinga, for just the strength and courage that you gave him to get through such unthinkable circumstances and then being able to come out on the other side of that and share your love with others internationally around the world. Thank you for uh, the University of Baylor for opening up the scholarship so that he can further his education and serve you in a greater capacity when he returns home to Zambia. And uh, dear Lord, we just ask that you, you bless the ministries he's a part of. Uh, we ask that you don't send him back to prison, uh, dear Lord, but we also ask that you bless his family, um, his beautiful baby and his loving wife and just uh, what they're going to be able to do to show your love to others. And we say all this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.